0: Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka, welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socio economic class division, and gender based violence. Joining us in studio today is Professor Sahim Khan, who is the Executive Dean of the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Johannesburg. Prior to this appointment, she was Dean of the Faculty of Health and Applied Sciences at the Namibia University of Science and Technology. In addition to her academic portfolio, she serves as a member of various societies for microbiology, such as the South African Society of Microbiology, the American Society for Microbiology, the Division Environmental Microbiology, and the Health Professions Council of South Africa. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So coming into the role mm. as position of Executive Dean of the Faculty of Health Sciences at mm. the University of Joburg, can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you
1: do mm. as well as the responsibilities that come mm. with holding this role? Okay. Um, so basically as part of my position, we have portfolios of what we call key performance areas. And those key performance areas include... Um, research and internationalization, teaching and learning, student satisfaction, um, international presence, it includes uh, community engagement. So with each of those what we call KPAs, the key performance areas, we have to hit indicators. Um, And so we must ensure that it's not just an umbrella word, but we need to have certain targets within those portfolios. And so my job is to ensure that we hit those key performance indicators together with my team. So I have a team of um, very competent HODs, and I can say that after two months because they're very impressive and they work hard. Um, and so for us, I'll give you a few examples within teaching and learning or research. We need to, to have a certain amount of research units as a faculty. We need to graduate a certain amount of PhDs, enroll a certain amount of PhDs or masters. Um, we need to make sure that our community engagement presence is felt. So we've got clinics in Soweto. We've got clinics in River Lee. We've got a major clinic at the Fountain campus. Um, so we need to have a, a social uh, or community engagement conscience as well. It can't just be a buzzword. We need to be actively working and giving back to the community. So each of those portfolios have major key performance indicators that I, as as the executive dean, must manage and push and lead and strategize together with the team to ensure that we hit them every single year and we know exactly where we're going and planning ahead. And it seems to be a combination
0: of qualitative and Correct. quantitative component, Correct. and qual is always yes. harder to yes.
1: to manage. But I think it's it's always richer. Correct. I absolutely agree with you. Um, if you have a look at our clinic, we. Um, It's minimum, minimum expense or or cost that we charge when anybody comes through, because whether it's optometry or it's podiatry um, or it's chiropractic or it's complementary medicine, we need to offer a service that is far cheaper than anything else that you would have at the professional rate. Um, And so our students and staff ensure that they have that continuing service as a way of giving back, Um, to the community, um, but to also for their social conscious, like I said before, it can't just be a buzzword to say, you have a portfolio that has community engagement. You need to to have a burden that says, I have the portfolio, but I actually want to partake in that portfolio, and I wanted to succeed. So we could have stopped at one clinic at DFC, and we could have said that meets that requirement. But they said, you know what, there's a need in Rivoli, the community of Rivoli, there's a need in soweto and they spread out those clinics and they said you can't just have the one they are needing other communities who can't always travel to the dfc campus and so they took that need or, or that skills that they have they took it to the community as well and i'm i'm very happy to be associated with them because you can see the passion they have for community engagement
0: and look at these aspects of, of community engagement on two levels mm. so one it it seems to be a philosophy that is ingrained in mm. the University of Johannesburg yes. from when Agreed. I've spoken with your colleagues in, yeah. in other disciplines. Agreed. But then it also seems to be about this this almost like development of mm. whole beings yeah. of of students.
1: That Correct. they are they're part of the environment Agreed. that they live and work yes. in. So they also they, they put that, that same I always say that our students must be burdened with a community engagement conscience. When they leave there, it must be a burden for them to fulfill that and to give back continually. Another example that I can give is our our EMC guys. They were just part of um, what happened, Cyclone Idai in in Mozambique, and two of our guys went with Rescue SA. And when I spoke to them and they came back, you know, it's great, great publicity. Oh, UJ was part of it. And you spoke to them and and they said to them, you know what, ma'am, I'm only sitting back now and I'm, I'm realizing what I saw. It was automatic when I was there. Get them to safety, uh, get them organized, give them the packages, help where you can, go on the boat, do what you need to do. And now you're realizing how this affected them. Uh, not only the people that they were assisting, but the rescuers who were there as well. So it's, it's a huge sometimes emotional sacrifice for the people to give back because it does burden you. And it's a continuing burden, but I think sometimes it's a good burden because it encourages you to go the next time as well. Mm. So, yeah. We've spoken about some of the aspects in your yeah. portfolio, but yeah. I
0: think what's also important to give an idea yeah. to our listeners of the, the, the types of disciplines. Correct. That yes. so we've got we the emergency have, medicine. We have
1: emergency medical care. Those are our um, practitioners, our emergency medical care practitioners. Sure, we've got 10, 10 domains within um, health sciences. Chiropractic. Um, we've got complementary medicine. Uh, many people will relate to that as homeopathy. So we've got homeopathy slash complementary medicine we have biomedical sciences um, we have environmental health practitioners optometry podiatry uh, we have the what we call used to call radiography and now they're called medical imaging um, i'm not sure if i mentioned all 10 and please forgive me whoever's listening if i forgot any of the domains we've got a department in human anatomy and physiology it's more a service department Um, that assists the um, other domains within our faculty. Um, So, yeah, we've got quite a number. Ten um, domain or practitioners departments and then eleventh one is anatomy, human anatomy and physiology. Yeah. It's
0: broad spectrum. Yeah. And um, it also talks into... I would say part of the discipline that that you grew up and mm. that you specialised in, which Correct. has been microbiology, Correct. Correct. you did your undergraduate as well yeah. as your postgraduate qualifications Correct. at the University of Western Cape, Yeah. and then from there you've gone on to teach extensively in the mm. field of of molecular biology. Correct. You've got a number of different research outputs yeah. which have gone across from human ailments mm. as i would uh, yeah. term them yeah. respiratory disorders yeah, looking at a uh, human papilloma Vitus, papilloma yeah. virus yeah. to water related studies yes. which you know water yeah. is a source of of life when yeah. you think about it from contamination wastewater yeah. rainwater, water yes. et etc Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the
1: significant Mm. findings in your research? Um, So my journey, as you said, started at UWC. Uh, My majors in my third year was microbiology and biochemistry. And um, to earn extra money in my third year, my sister and I worked in the lab as lab assistants. And then we realized that we actually both have a passion for micro uh, and we applied for the honors program and we were successful. Um, And from there, I did my PhD, uh, and that was in more baculovirus research. Um, After two years of baculovirus research, I won't mention his name, but bless his heart, my supervisor, he was not an expert in baculoviruses. He was an expert in virology and more human virology, um, but not an expert in baculoviruses. And so I, I sent an email to an expert internationally. Joost Flack, Professor Yerst Flack, only had read every paper that he'd ever published and said to him, look, I need to finish this objectives within my PhD. Can I come to your lab? And he said, yes. And guess what? I'll fund you. I'm like, wow, thank you. And then my current supervisor said, and now I'll fund you as well. And there I went to Netherlands for one year and completed my PhD in baculoviruses using it as a biological control. And um, I've learned so many techniques. Um, and was able to publish. And when I came back, I was at Cape Technicon for about um, a year, and one of my colleagues at UWC was now in Singapore at the Institute of Molecular and Cell Biology, and his principal investigator was looking for somebody with baculovirus knowledge. And he said, well, you know, um, one of my colleagues went to Netherlands for a year, and and she knows quite a bit, and the PI called me and said, look, can we have an impromptu, are you willing to come to Singapore for a year and the knowledge I had gained by just sending an email to an international expert and asking to supervise me now served me well in going to Singapore for a year. So I took unpaid leave and went to go and work on severe acute respiratory syndrome. And um, what they really wanted us to do was um, create a, a virus particle but that didn't have the virulent part in it. So an empty capsid virus-like particle that you could still use in vaccine production to target a response, but without the virulence. And so I was able to use my skills in baculoviruses uh, in the expression studies for the SARS, a severe, a severe acute respiratory syndrome, and I was successful. And so I, I always marvel at sending one email and granting me all that opportunities in Netherlands served me well to go to Singapore and publish in Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Mm -hmm. and work with an expert in that field who had published so much and also work with um, the Singapore University. I mean, we know the National University of Singapore is doing great work. So I was able to work with them as well. So it granted me many opportunities and I'm very grateful for those opportunities. So listening to what you've said, yeah. I'm looking at this not just apart
0: from, from the knowledge point of yeah. view, but from access, you opened doors Correct. to opportunities. Yeah. You walked through those yes. doors, Correct. which then opened more doors yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in, this, in this journey, yeah. which is, has given a great
1: trajectory for your, your absolutely. development. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely agree with you. If I had not sent that email and taken the chance because I was in my second year, of a PhD, and I knew that there was no chance that I was going to complete in the minimum years of three until I had desperate intervention from experts. And so as scared as I was, I sent an email to an expert and I said, please host me for a year. This is what I need to do. And thank you that he was able to answer and say, I'll not only host you, I'll fund you. And that my current supervisor understood his limitations and said, I'll fund you too. And there, off I went for a year. And that's another thing I think within
0: the academic space. It's actually a humbling environment Mm. and it's very collegial. Correct. And it is all about expanding the knowledge base. So
1: you you do what you can to help others achieve their, their goals. Yes, absolutely. And I've experienced that. Yeah, yeah.
0: not not only have you been someone who has gone on to advance your goals Mm. but you're also very conscious uh, and we we heard about in the dialogue earlier about giving back Mm. and i I see that giving back in terms of your teaching as well correct and i'd like to share a a reference for your passion for teaching from from a quote of one of your students who said ma'am when you are in front of a class Mm -hmm. it's like listening to an amazing rap so your teaching methods are different yeah. it's not a standard look at the board here yeah. we are no, regurgitation no. yeah and beyond just the teaching methods you also when you're in namibia established a, a feeding scheme Good. for students so yeah. again it, it speaks to to the sustainability yeah. can you tell us more about your
1: approaches okay um something that i must share when i i first came into academia i was Probably one of the most passionate people with regard to the students I wanted them to succeed and I was just um, I had a a total love for students looking at students and realizing that many people forget that all of us have five dimensions as we we are taught the mental emotional physical spiritual etc and social and um, when we look at students we concentrate on the mental we also we always just want the students to excel and we never stop to think, but you know what, this is a person who has home pressures, they have family pressures, they have personal and mental health pressures. And um, when we put this added pressure, we don't think about those other dimensions. And I'm ashamed to say, after about seven years of teaching, um, you know, people will say with well, a workload, it just came to a point where I was constantly just pushing students. And I, I was so tired most of the time that I never thought I stopped thinking of the student as a whole being. And I, I say I'm ashamed to say because it influenced the way I interacted with students. I was always, um, you know, they say you you misses discipline and you, you're the person who can be gracious or you can be a disciplinarian. And I, I became that disciplinarian towards my students and I had a very eye opening experience one day with a young lady who shared something very really personal with me when I was just giving her the diet had missing a test and blah blah blah, blah 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 and she shared why she had and that uh, she, pro- she probably doesn't realize how much I cried that evening after she shared that and I had to take stock of who I'd become because of the work pressures um, and I had to train myself and it's I had to train myself to stop being the disciplinarian that had become ingrained and start consciously, actively praying and saying, I need a love for students. I need a passion, a love to see them as whole human beings. Um, and so that's where the feeding scheme came of, And that's where my passion for teaching continued with students, because if you think of students as only mental, you forget the social needs uh, and the physical needs that they have. And then we did a survey with our students at, at, in Namibia. Um, I always wanted to start a feeding scheme, but I was never in the position to do it because I wasn't a dean of a faculty. And suddenly I was a dean of the faculty. I, I could make that decision. Um, and uh, we took stock of our students and we did some stats, true to science. And about 60% of our students did not, they were not guaranteed of a meal in a day. Sixty percent. Sixty percent of our students were not guaranteed of a meal in a day. And we know that that affects the quality of life, their cognitive ability, how they function, how they sit there. But looking at your, your field of study, molecular yeah. biology, Correct. you know, the <laughs> energy into the cells. Everything that they require. And so I, I pioneered, or oh, I thought about this idea and I, I pitched it to the staff and they were on board. Then I had to ask permission from the management, and they were on board. And initially, it was staff-funded. All of us would take turns to give the money, and for about six months, it was staff-funded, but it wasn't sustainable. So I went out and I actively sought funding um, from a, 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 a philanthropist, and they are now fully funding it for the f- till we stop, till we as a faculty decide to stop for years and years to come and so it all it is is a sandwich that we give to students Um, and the most heartbreaking thing but the most gratifying thing it's heartbreaking because you'll see about 10 to 1 students are snaking down the stairs queuing for a sandwich a peanut butter or jam a cheese sandwich and then when you open those doors they are so grateful it's, it's the most amazing thing that you can just give them one sandwich and that they're so grateful for that. And by four o'clock, if there's anything that's left, you, you're normally sold out because you don't charge, but I mean, by in within 20 minutes, 30 minutes. But if there's anything because it's exam period, what they come home and they say, oh, that they'll come back, sorry, and they'll say, ma'am, uh, can I take a sandwich? I've got a brother at home. I've got, can I just take the leftover? And I'll be like, oh, what are we going to do with those sandwiches and so i don't think we understand the extent of the problem within our our student um, grouping and so i was very grateful that i was reminded that that is something i always wanted to do that the staff were on board the management was on board and that eventually we could get the continuing funding very I, grateful i often think about scholarships the scholarship
0: it's it's the academic yeah. ticket. Yeah. But if a person hasn't got a place to stay, if a person hasn't yeah. got food to eat, Correct. they're not gonna be able to live up Correct. to the
1: expectations of that scholarship. Scholarship is only part of the Agreed. equation. Agreed. And so uh, we understand the pressures of mental health within our student environment. We understand the, pre- the physical needs that they have. And so as academics, you must constantly remind ourselves we are not there to only give them academic food we we must very importantly always think of them as holistic five-dimensional human beings and always when we approach them approach them with grace listen to what the problems are and assist if we can it's mm. very important
0: staying with the, the point of of students and, yeah. and studying stem subjects so mm. science technology yeah. engineering mathematics have mm. been cited as pivotal for our jobs of yeah. the future But when you look at various reports about women, it shows that females Mm. are underrepresented Mm. in these disciplines, Mm. which is obviously going to create a gap in terms of work and and job Mm. opportunities in the Mm. future. You've been in this space for, gosh, Mm. going on two two decades. Can you tell us about the environment within South Africa? Are we supportive enough to bring women scientists Mm. up through the fold? Mm. And um, are there any differences from when you started out
1: to where we are today in terms of how women are perceived? Yeah. Okay. So I'll start with the first one with regard to the females within STEM and our student demographics that we currently have. Um, When we're doing our strategic planning within any faculty, within any domain, um, consciously we make the effort to say we must target females. Females within STEM, um, and uh, when we then do the stats related to that, what I found in faculties is we, we have the perception that it's a more male-dominated, but with. An current student population, it's actually more female dominated, especially within health sciences. And so 50% to 55% of our population within the female demographic within health sciences, and I'm speaking from a perspective of UJ now, together with NUST um, for my previous three years, it was more female. And you saw the graduation throughput was as well. And so wh- I, I didn't want to change those key performance indicators. So I looked at it, and together with the team, we decided it's, we need to now find ways to continually maintain those numbers. So while we're we thinking, okay, 50 to 55 is a good percentage, how do we ensure that for the next few y- years, we maintain that percentage or even increase? A- and how do we support them females when they are within the system or the students when they are within the system so that's important getting them into the system is one thing and then offering them the support so that they graduate in minimum time or they, they, they pass and they successful from year to year is also important so you'll find that many faculties have those strategies Whether it be extra tutoring sessions related to what we regard as priority subjects or at-risk subjects, that's important, and that's mostly in the areas of STEM. So it'll be in your mathematics, um, it'll be in your uh, physics and your chemistry, so that's important. An initiative that we had within Namibia is we had a math tutoring center that didn't only service our current cohort of students, but also went to high schools over weekends. To, to so develop them. Correct, to develop them and, and to encourage them to apply within those STEM areas. So that's also important. And we, we didn't only target the high school learners, we, we targeted the teachers as well. Um, because we, we felt that teachers sometimes feel a little bit overwhelmed in changes in curriculum. They might not feel that equipped. So we have the skills to help them to get up to par Mm. so we had a two-fold approach we looked at not only our current cohort but we looked at the high school teachers and the high school learners and that worked very well Um, so so there are initiatives in place to support but i always said to the students um why are why why when i walk into the maths tutoring center is it not overflowing you, you understand? Take the opportunities that you are given. Take the opportunities that we have created because it's there to support you. If you need tutoring, there's funding. and there's a, There are ways that we can support you to give you that tutoring. Ask for that. If you're struggling in a certain area, help us. But if we don't understand or recognize or you don't voice the problems you have, how they do you know? Assist? Correct. So there are initiatives their initiatives. But you asked also the question, how has the landscape changed? It's changed a lot <laughs> from the time that I I started. I was first year in university probably twenty six years ago. So it changed a heck of a lot. And so it, it's not that I'm saying, oh, now we've got fifty to fifty five percent and we want to increase. It wasn't that case always. I think those efforts of marketing women, of going to the quantile schools to say, look, we want a more balanced approach to who comes into our programs, all of that are, are successful and they're working. But we need continued effort and continued strategies to ensure that. They they are maintained that's very important
0: but beyond just that aspect of trying to drive the mm-hmm. uh, the input almost yeah. the, the the point of market entry yeah there's also the fact that you've been in place other women have been in Good place end. and you are providing this role
1: modeling yeah. effect and uh, yeah inspiration yeah. We, I hope we are I, I hope that that we're in a position when women when other women learners uh, and students look at us they understand that We not, I didn't come from a privileged background in any shape or form, Um, and it was really hard work continuing, like we said earlier, consistent persevering, consistent hard work to get where I am now. And um, I try and share the story of my background as much as possible to say to people, what do you see when you look at me? Because maybe the perception you have of me is totally incorrect. I don't know that you see one of three children that for the first 13 years of her life lived in one room, not one bedroom, one room, with her mother, her sister, her brother, and her grandmother. <laughs> I don't know that you see that. I don't know that you see somebody who had to work at KFC from Standard 9 to earn extra income. I, I don't know that you, had to, you see somebody who gave half her paycheck check to her mother, not because it was ingrained in our community, but because she needed it. She needed that money because she didn't have that money most times and so there are struggles but you overcome that struggle by by finding solutions by working even though you have to study in first year and you have to work at kfc three days a week (laughs) and you have assignments and you have to take a taxi nine o'clock at night because your test was until half past eight you find solutions and you continue and you are persistent and you persevere and that's what I wanna to say to the younger generation. When you see the role models, don't see people only who are successful. See people who persevered, who are consistent in their work ethic and was able to reach certain milestones in their career. It's very important. Well, thank you for sharing some context
0: in terms yeah. of, of your background on, yeah. on some of the, those key points because it really is, is important that the person you are today yeah has been made correct you you didn't just suddenly appear to be the executive dean of the faculty of health sciences you were you were made you you created your 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 destiny and we'll touch on a little bit more of that in in our next session okay you are listening to womanity woman in unity on channel africa the african perspective on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band also available on DSTV channel 802. Today, we're talking to Professor Sahim Khan, who is the Executive Dean of the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Johannesburg. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Prof Khan, so we've spoken about the functional areas of your job and and your career and in the last uh, point of the conversation you started to speak more about the personal aspect and I'd like to delve in a little bit deeper now onto your your personal journey and you've had this uh, you've had this pre-career hardships Mm. confronting them coming through developing your career and and really excelling and succeeding So I wanted to ask you, what are some of the factors that you attribute to being key to your success? Okay.
1: Um, Thank you. That's a very good question because um, I really I have to think about that. And when I think about it, I'm amazed at what actually influenced me in my life. Um, I I was brought up by by two very strong women, um, my grandmother and my mother. Um, And my grandmother, I don't think, even had a standard two. The the I don't know what it is now with regard to grade or a standard one, um, but from an early age she would walk us within our area. We were very blessed to have two libraries, and she made sure that we visited both libraries. So every two weeks we had to read six to eight books. We had to go to the Alice River Library and the Leon'sdale Library, and she would wa- and she would take out books herself. So that here's somebody with a standard one or standard two education who probably read every single book in that library. Um, and I, while she was still part of us, she had passed now. But while she was still with us, I remember my grandmother being very gracious and kind. Those are two things that I always remember. And after she had passed, my mother shared some of the hardships that she had experienced in her life that I never would have guessed, that she never shared with us. And I kept thinking to myself that in no way has that influenced the person that, she, that I remember her as being. She was always gracious and she was always kind. And that's how I remember and I remember her loving books. And so while she had this limited education, she read absolutely everything and used the words that she had read. (laughs) So that was important. So she played a huge role in my life. Um, And then my mother, I don't think she expected to be a 30 year old divorced woman with three children and looking after her own mother as well. and I, I know and I still say today my mother is one of the strongest women I've ever met um, because I, I relayed a story earlier of how up till the age of 13 we were living in one room and people mustn't mistake that for a one bedroom it was one room. But by, by that age of 13 she had made sure that she could then buy us a house and she saved and she she took on extra work whatever the case may be to make sure that she could then give us that. and About eight years later, she bought the first family car. I remember I was honest, I think, when we had the first family car. And so she's somebody who always, on the day that she gets paid, and even now today, she'll say, Girl, did you thank the Lord for that money? And I'm like, I forgot. And I'm like, yes, yes, I'm I'm going to. And she's like, thank the Lord for that money, even the little or the lot. You must thank the Lord for that money. And so that's always something that's ingrained. Be grateful for everything you get, no matter the amount. Just be so grateful of the blessing that you get. So that's something that I, I think of my mother and her work ethic, that I'm so happy that my sister and I, we have a very similar work ethic, work, work, work. So these are the two women who really shaped me and the person that I am today. Yeah, And besides, your mom and your grandmother. Yeah,
0: I learned in our conversation offline that your sister's not just your sister; no. she's also your twin sister, <laughs> and has interestingly pursued. You've pursued identical
1: Correct. careers. Correct. Yeah. So,
0: tell us a little bit more about how that's almost.
1: I, I would say it's. Yeah. It's groomed you. It's it's helped, healthy competition. Yeah. It's oh oh. Absolutely. We'll say it's healthy competition. My mother won't agree always because when we were in high school and varsity, I don't know that she would define it as healthy, but it was competition that made us work harder. I I think our work ethic is something that I appreciate because I always say to her, imagine if both of us, if one of us didn't work as hard as the other or if the other person wasn't as, you know, whatever characteristic, if, if you, if you, elevated yourself, or you weren't uh, a good person, you didn't have a good character, it would be difficult for us to to have the bond that we have now. So I'm very grateful that we are so similar in that regard, that we value similar things, and certainly the competition helped us be where we are today. Um, uh, We're both in academia. Uh, I I followed the more management leadership route, and she is an associate professor at Stellenbosch University in microbiology, and um, she excels in research she's a little uh, military drill sergeant she's she runs her lab and she gets the results and she does an excellent job and she is my shiro with that is concerned she does she does so well um, and so I'm very proud of her and I know she's proud of me and so while there was that competition in the earlier stages of our life we kind of did chose the different paths in later stage i enjoy working with people i enjoy the more problem solving managing leading and strategic part and she enjoys the research and teaching and that's where our careers kind of separated and we we found our own niche within academia Um, but still working together with regard to the research Mm. and we work well because nobody else will pick up the phone and say hey you're not pulling your weight you might be a dean of a faculty, but you want a name on a paper. you can need to pull your weight with regard to the molecular biology. Nobody, nobody will have that freedom and to do that. i than a very your sister. Correct, correct. And I, there are no hard feelings, I know exactly what she's mm-hmm. saying. Uh, I know that she's it's truth, and I need to pull my weight with regard to to the work. So yeah, I appreciate that.
0: Well, thanks for sharing your story of yeah. of growing up, the strong yeah. woman in your life, yeah. uh, as you've as you've continued to to, yeah. to become who you are today. Yeah. And lastly, as we close out the conversation, can you please share a few words of inspiration or wisdom
1: that you'd like to give to our our younger ladies listening to us? Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, Yeah, I I do want to share a few things. I I think the first thing that I want to share is is a mantra that I've always lived my life by. Um, Because I think when you get to a certain stage in your career, you've experienced certain life. Experiences, um, And one mantra I've always lived my life with, somebody said this to me in my honors year, I think, you deserve the treatment you tolerate. I always think about this. and I, So when somebody does something to you and um, you allow it to happen and you con- allow it to perpetuate and continue and continue, then I, I always say to somebody, and I say it to my sister all the time, then you deserve it because you tolerate it. So either you do something about it and you address it in a respectful but direct manner um, or you just continue because you're allowing it to continue. So that's something that I I always say this to people when they come with a problem. I said, you deserve the treatment you tolerate and people will sit back and then back. Like, that's true. I am tolerating this and I'm not doing anything about it. So either I do something about it or I just allow it to continue. So that's the one thing. The next thing is something that I'm known for, and my sister always shakes head at this. I'm a very direct person. I hope that I do it with a respectful manner. But if you're going to interrupt, interrupt me in a meeting, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, I was not done speaking, and I will continue speaking. Whatever the situation, I've, the one thing that I absolutely love about myself, This sounds terrible, is that I'm direct. I I will not speak to another person about you, I will not sulk, I will not hold a grudge, I won't go into a corner and go in the the fetal position and go back and forth. I'll come to you and I'll say, it bothers me. I perceive this in a certain way. Am I right? You'll either say yes and we'll talk about it, or you'll deny it and then I'll look at you and I'll say, I'm so glad that isn't a problem. Because when I leave this office, I'm going to assume we're going to go back to to, to the usual. And so people... Are always taken aback when you direct with them but I think it's important because either you're going to be the person who's going to speak about the person or you're going to sulk and allow it to fester or you're going to say can I have five minutes of your time and you're going to be direct and you're going to address the problem and I found that that have, that has held me in good stead for, for a long time the last thing I want to say well two points sorry I <laughs> two points have a high self-awareness Just have a high self-awareness. Know when you are being mean. Know when you have spoken nonsense. Know uh, when you have promised something and you didn't deliver. Um, Know when you oversold yourself. Know when you must apologize. Know yourself really well. Just have a self-awareness about your abilities. Um, Because I think the thing that marvels me about male or females is when they will sell themselves in a way that we have not experienced them so you will listen to somebody but the actions do not meet what they are selling and then I always sit and I'm like don't you know yourself walk the talk correct don't you know did you not sit back and say I'm talking nonsense this is nothing as what I am so have a high self-awareness and then the last one that I want to share is um, be a person of good character this is very important to me people will say have a good character but be consistent in your good character know what a good character person is right is right wrong is wrong and walk the walk it's very important Uh, when people talk about you they're gonna say a lot of things but I hope that they say I was a good person I treated everybody with respect no matter who you were no matter what your position was no matter what you earned you earned my respect You had my respect just because you being a human being. I don't care what you do in life. I I don't care what your history is and where you come from. All I care is about how you treat me and how you treat others. And I want you to be a person of good character because then I will value you. And I hope people value me because of that. So have a good character. It's very important. Those are
0: such wonderful practical points (laughs) which clearly sound as though you've lived all of yeah. those, to, to say that they, they work.
1: Correct. Correct. They do. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time today. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And thank you for inviting me again. Thank you for making me think about those things that sometimes I take for granted. Thank you. I appreciate that. You
0: have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. And we have been talking to Professor Saheem Khan, who is the Executive Dean of the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Johannesburg.